not to block their membership. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 19th of May. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. China's new home prices dropped for the eighth consecutive month in April. Among the 70 major Chinese cities, 47 cities saw new home prices decline month on month compared to 38 in March. Month on month, new home prices fell 0.2% the fastest decline in five months. Premier Li Keqiang has called for greater urgency in rolling out measures to support the virus-battered economy. All localities and departments should step up their sense of urgency and new measures that can be used should be used, Premier Li said at a symposium on Wednesday. He said that China has enough policy room to deal with the challenges facing the economy and the Premier added that efforts to support the economy should bring it back to normal quickly after acknowledging that indicators have weakened significantly since March. Japan's economy shrank 0.2% quarter-on-quarter in the first three months of 2022. That's slightly better than the market consensus of a 0.4% contraction comes after the world's third largest economy rebounded 0.9% in the final three months of 2021. Growth was hit by the rising costs of imports as energy prices surged and the yen fell to its lowest level against the dollar in 20 years. And inflation in the UK surged to a 40-year high of 9% in April as food and energy prices spiral out of control. The rise in the Consumer Price Index is well ahead of the 7% seen in March of this year. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey warned of an apocalyptic outlook for consumers, with a quarter of Britons resorting to skipping meals. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fowl and Louisa Fock from the Bank of Singapore. With a view from Taiwan, it's Ross Feingold of Safepro Group. Money Talk on RTHK. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks suffered their worst falls since June 2020, near the start of the pandemic. The S&P 500 tumbled 4% to 3,923, taking its losses for 2022 so far to almost 18%. The index is on track for a seventh straight week of losses. The Dow tumbled 1,165 points to end the session at 31,490, its lowest closing level since March 2021. The Nasdaq Composite Index plunged 4.7% to end the day at 11,418. For 2022 so far, the Tech Heavy Index has lost 27% and is off almost 30% from the record high hit in November last year. Consumer, consumer discretionary and consumer staples were the worst performing sectors, down 6.6% and 6.4% respectively. The declines were led by retailer Target, which plummeted 25%, its worst decline since Black Monday in 1987, after it reported that higher freight, wage and fuel costs and disrupted supply chains would hit profits. Shares of the world's biggest bricks and mortar store, Walmart, dropped another 7% following an 11% slump on Thursday after it said inflation was hitting its profit margins. 
In Europe, the region-wide stock 600 index fell 1.1%. The UK's FTSE 100 also dropped 1.1%. Hong Kong shares closed modestly higher on Wednesday. The Hang Seng extended its winning streak to four days, adding 42 points, or 0.2%, to 20,644. The Hang Seng Tech Index fell a third of a percent. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite retreated a quarter of a percent to 3,086. Revenue at 10 cents showed no growth in the first three months of the year. That's the slowest revenue growth on record. Sales barely rose to 135.5 billion yuan. That's about 20 billion US dollars for the three months ended March, missing the average forecast after online ad revenue plummeted 18%. Net profits plunged in the quarter by 51% to 23 billion renminbi, that's about 3.5 billion US dollars, from 49 billion renminbi in the same period the year before, well short of analyst forecasts. Revenue from domestic games, a key division, dropped by 1% from the year before to 33 billion renminbi, while online advertising fell by 18%. The company blamed direct and indirect effects of the government's crackdown on technology companies, including restricting children from playing games more than three hours a week. Shares of Tencent closed 0.8% lower before the earnings release. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil fell 3% to $109.25 a barrel as investors are worried about slowing global growth. Gold is a touch higher at $1,816 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield tumbled 11 basis points to 2.88%. And the US dollar index resumed its climb, rising 0.6%. The euro this morning is at $1.4.75. Bucks trading at 128 Japanese yen. Sterling fell 1.2% against the dollar to $1.23.5 after data showed UK inflation hit a four-decade high of 9% in April. Against the local currency, it's at 9 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. The Chinese yuan is trading at 6.78 versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin has fallen back below $30,000. It's down almost 5% at $29,000 this morning. And around the Asia-Pacific markets, it's a sea of red. The ASX 200 in Australia is already down one and a quarter percent. The Nikkei 225 has plunged 2.4% shortly after opening. In South Korea, the Cosby is off 1.8%. And futures markets are pointing to a decline of about 540 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Let's meet our guests. As always, on a Thursday morning, we have with us personal wealth advisor Enzio von Farr. Morning to you, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And also with us is Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning, Louisa. Morning, Peter. Um, as we heard there, um, big falls on Wall Street overnight, led by uh, the retailers with declining profit forecasts. Um, NGO, this, this, there seems to be a deterioration, isn't there, now in the economic growth story, and it's started to get picked up in corporate earnings, especially now in some of these retailers. What's happening? Well, traditional economic analysis doesn't make any sense because you would think that with a very tight labour market, you've got twice as many vacancies as you have unemployed, 
you'd think that the market would be so tight that people would just be shopping like crazy. Well, in fact, the only answer that I've got is one on the supply side, that there's so many lie-downs in America, people who don't want to work, that they've just, they still shop, but they've become incredibly price sensitive. And mm -hmm. this is why the operating margins have fallen by 50% for Target over the past year, apparently. I mean, it basically means then, isn't it, that in, in response to this surging inflation that we're seeing pretty well everywhere now, uh, consumers are reducing discretionary purchases, which is sending margins, company margins, back to where they were really before the pandemic. Quite. They, they don't want to. The, the consumer simply is going on strike saying, I'm not, I'm not accepting the higher costs, which means if, if, it were, if the traditional analysis held too much money chasing too few goods, then in fact the consumer would be taking these price increases and saying, I'll pay them because I want that car, that washing machine, etc. But in fact they're saying, I'm, not going to, I'm, not, I'm going on strike, I'm not going to pay those higher prices. You, you talk about the lie downs, these people who don't want to go to work. I'm wondering if that is really as big um, as, as, as you suggest, because I'm wondering, is, is things changing? There's far more people now who are uh, working freelance, who are becoming self-employed. Yes, the way the, the labour market is, is, yes. is, is working is changing, and that's not being picked up in the, in the labour market data. I fully agree. That, that's a very, very fair observation. I just would, however, add that if you have twice as many vacancies as number of unemployed, there still is something about the lie-down story that does hold. Um, Louisa, what, what do you make of this? We're starting to see now earnings really starting to become impacted, aren't we? Particularly amongst uh, the, the retailers, which have pretty well held up uh, quite well recently until now. Yeah, I think uh, like what uh, Angel mentioned, the inflation impact on the company earnings and margin, that's at the company level, at the micro level. But at the macro level, I think the market is still starting to pricing in the impact of Fed rate hike. Um, for instance, uh, June and July, uh, I do believe the market has been very effective in pricing in for a 50 basis point rate high. However, if we look beyond that for the September rate high, uh, the market has uh, actually increased the probability of the Fed to hate right, uh, Fed hate, hate hike the uh, rate high by 75 basis point to more than 50% probability versus less than 30% just one day before. And I think uh, this process is going to weigh on uh, those um, companies that cannot deliver earnings and it's mm. uh, again uh, it will affect the uh, valuations of uh, the equities as well. So do you think markets should start pricing in a recession now? I think uh, it's pr the, the market definitely may be pricing in some of the probability. This is not our base case at Bank of Singapore. But I think going forward, the key point to watch out for uh, will be uh, the inflation data, um, whether it start peaking or not, uh, because that will have a major impact for the rate high trajectory um, beyond July. Mm. Do you think it is peaking? Um, I, I think uh, like uh, what we have been discussed before, a part of the inflation, uh, one of the major driving forces is the supply chain side, uh, which is probably take a little bit longer to address. And um, and going forward, uh, each of the data points that are going to be announced, like the CPI, core CPE, and even the housing data will give us some uh, leading indicators whether we are seeing signs of peaking of the inflation. I agree with Louisa. It's cost push keeps going up. 
demand pollen inflation starting to abate because of the recession looming? Well, we we talk a lot about um, American imports and just how much they import from China. The renminbi is weakening. Um, It's down, what, about 6% now since the start of the year. And why isn't that pushing down inflation? That should be deflationary, shouldn't it? I again think that because the cost push factors are higher than the demand pull down pressure, so um, even if the Walmart has to, it probably, it probably Walmart probably has to, it said as figuratively, not literally, I'm not a company guy, um, has to probably pass on those lower renminbi import costs, but at the same time, it's getting whacked by higher transport costs. Mm. Well, what's going on in the bond market? The bond market doesn't seem to know at the moment, does it, where rates question. are going? Where we're seeing you know, moves of 10, 12 basis points a day in both directions. One today, uh, yields were down. The day before, they were up. Um, the, the bond market seems to be all over the place. Well, so are the algorithmic traders, I'm afraid. I, I, in my day, we used to sit in trading pits with lots of gruffy barrel boys <laughs> screaming around. You were one of them, Peter. I was, and those Absolutely. old voices screamed. They were wonderful people. <laughs> now we're dealing with people clicking, clicking away on their machines. So, mm. in other words, the market that we know of our day isn't there anymore. So I think a lot of this is just funny stuff going on in the algorithms. And it's not as liquid as it used to be either. Absolutely, and that's going to be a big crash hit later on, I'm afraid. Okay. Louise, tell us about uh, markets out here. We've sort of seeing some sign that maybe Hong Kong and greater China stocks have have been bottoming out, but then every now and then they get hit by another big fall from from Wall Street. What do you think is happening? Um, I, I think there's two two things that we can look at. First of all, from an equities market perspective, um, no doubt whatever um, valuation matrix and even if in, in a, a down market, then uh, investors usually look at price to book. Uh, all these valuation matrix are pointing that uh, they are trading at the lower end of the valuation range. Yeah. Um, however, secondly, like what we've mentioned, with the Fed rate high uh, path, it's still starting to pricing in what happened beyond July. And with the real uh, yields is uh, heading towards positive territory or we have already touched the positive territory. Overall, it will increase the volatility across asset classes, including equities. And lastly, at the company level, um, I think here in this part of the world, we have several mega caps start reporting their quarterly results. Um, Some of them have very good cost discipline. Therefore, the margin uh, is a little bit more resilient than expected. But overall, we've been seeing flattish revenue growth for several of the mega cap stock that have just reported over the uh, past week or so. And like all these factors, it's likely to uh, lock the market trading in a range bound in the near term. Peter, if I could just inject, the other point of confusion perhaps is that the monetary policy is actually very loose Yes, mm. repeat, loose, because the real Fed funds rate, the Fed funds rate nominal of 1% minus the nominal inflation rate, we call it 8%, is minus 7% on the Fed funds. That's the real rate of Fed funds. So you can't, one can hardly talk about Fed policy tightening. And that's why I'm afraid this path for higher interest rates is going to be back to Paul Volcker's day where he jacked them up to 19%. That's not going to happen, but they mm. have a long way to go up, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, if you look at more of the 
look at the UK inflation data out, to the, uh, out yesterday, 9% now uh, annual inflation. Interest rates there are 1%. 8.5% in the US, interest rates are 1%. Yes. Um, if, if we look back in time, historians look back in time in a few years at this, haven't we, don't you think we've had the most extraordinarily irresponsible central banks that maybe we've ever seen? Since the GFC, absolutely, since 2007, 2008, because they, were, they refused to implement structural policies like better education, tax breaks on mining companies, etc., and instead they went for the, for the bog-standard herd immunity, the intellectual herd immunity of, well, if everybody else thinks that we better tighten monetarily or loose monetarily, let's do that for, for election reasons. Mm. Louisa, if we wanted to look um, as an investor for signs that the markets now have bottomed, um, what should we look out for? What would be the keys to sort of identifying a bottom in the markets? Um, I think uh, three levels. Uh, again, first of all, at the macro level, um, everyone will look at the rates market or, or the Fed rate high trajectory, uh, like what we have discussed. Uh, secondly, I, I think uh, here in this part of the world, uh, especially for Hong Kong markets, we are more sensitive to China policy. Uh, it has been reiterated at several senior uh, government meetings, ranging from the April Politburo meeting and so on and so forth, that they are going to step up monitor, uh, step up policy stimulus, but probably more at the physical level this time round and at the industry level. Do we um, need to see more concrete signs of that? We've seen a lot of talk about it, haven't we? We've had Lou Her, for example, saying now we've got to support the, the platform economy, but he was saying that two months ago as well. Uh, yes, I think the delivery will be the key things to watch. Uh, signs like uh, cutting the mortgage rate for first-time home buyers, uh, this kind of actions uh, would be welcome, but probably we'll need to see a little bit more of those. But it's, uh, I'm afraid it's a little bit, like a friend of mine recently quipped, like making a 50-yard dash in a 49-yard gym. Mm. What I mean by that is that as long as the COVID <laughs> policy remains the rigid, in Bach's terms, cantus firmus, in other words, the rigid base foundation on which all policy, of which all policy hinges, then I'm afraid all other things like tweaking with easier monetary, easier mortgage rates, etc., simply is not going to work. Mm. So it's one of the keys then for identifying a bottom in the markets out here. We need to see these lockdowns ease across China. And uh, we need to see growth recovering. Um, and in turn, we need to see an end to the zero COVID policy. I mean, presumably yeah. you can't have growth recovering with the zero COVID policy right. in place. It's, it's rather interesting that we all talk about the, the lockdowns in the ports. Well, I was, there was a very interesting FT big read this week showing that the trucks can't move easily between the provinces either because each province has said, has been told you will have zero COVID. So, of course, the trucks don't have a free wheeling, excuse the terrible pun. Um, ability to move between provinces en route to the Shanghai port. Mm. I mean, we're getting a lot of talk out of China. We had more yesterday from Premier Li Keqiang about supporting the economy. But what exactly have they got to do? What, what do they need to do? Um, because the economic data is just dire, isn't it? Particularly from the property sector. Well, I, again, I'll preempt Louise, but let's hear what she has to say. I just think it's, it's un, until, as my friend um, Shan Wei Zhang just recently pointed out, un, unless they, until they lift this very adamant COVID, zero COVID policy, I'm afraid you just can't, anything else is tweaking at the, at the, at the fringes. 
Louisa, what do you think? Um, I think it's been very clear that they are focusing on the uh, infrastructure spending. But uh, nowadays, instead of uh, just the traditional image of uh, infrastructure, <laughs> like toll roads, airport railways, I think they're now encompassing something uh, uh, broader, so-called new infrastructure, ranging from technology hardware uh, to renewables. And more recently, uh, the, the State Council announced an additional $50 billion uh, uh, subsidies for renewables, which I do believe uh, it's, uh, it's another sign or actions that, that's of stepping up of the infrastructure spending. But if you want to do that, and, and you know, I mean, traditional infrastructure um, is not, the spending's not getting through at the moment because of the lockdowns. But if you want to have, if you want to include amongst that things like artificial intelligence and new types of technologies, you've also got to have, haven't you, um, some good technology firms can do, that can do it. And, and they're being absolutely battered at the moment um, by these, uh, these aggressive um targeting of policies. I mean, look what we saw from Tencent uh, yesterday from their earnings. I mean, they, they really are being hit hard, aren't they? Isn't that to the detriment of trying to rebuild and boost the Chinese economy? Uh, yes, I think like uh, not just the company earnings, but I think the April activity data also already reflected uh, the lockdown's impact. Um, so I think uh, this is what we need to see. It's like a cost discipline at the company level to encounter this uh, relatively uh, soft revenue outlook or guidance that some of the mega caps that have been uh, giving out over the past week or so. But I do think that a, an eminent person like Vice Premier Liu He is having a tough time because policy credibility is a little bit shot in China. You can't on the one hand say we want to beat up on the tech firms and then on the other hand say but actually we want to revive them. You can't say mm. we want to revive the economy but we want to lock down and have zero COVID. It, it, sorry, it just, it, no economic textbook ever, even with the biggest Merlin around, the biggest magician, cannot do that for one. And it's a shame, really, isn't it? Because um, Vice Premier Liu He is probably the, one of the most business orientated um, people, pe- people in, the, in the Politburo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, well, great. That was a nice discussion. Thank you very much. You heard their personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl, Louisa Falk, who's China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Eight twenty-four on the phone now from Taipei is Ross Feingold, business development director at SafePro Group. Very good morning to you, Ross. Good morning. Um, so President Biden is going to kick off his Indo-Pacific economic framework tour um, this week on Friday. In fact, starts with a four-day visit to South Korea um, and Japan. What, are we seeing any signs now of, of what the Biden administration's policy towards China and towards Asia is looking like? Well, they'd like us to believe that we're going to see that, but the reality is it's uh, uh, already in May 2022, almost a year and a half since they've taken office, and they still seem to be debating this internally. Uh, National Security Advisor Sullivan uh, told the media a few hours ago that there's integration and symbiosis in the strategy we're pursuing in Europe and we're pursuing in the Indo-Pacific Biden has a unique capacity to stitch those together. I was reading these quotes from 
from Sullivan thinking like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you guys still don't really have a cohesive strategy uh, that integrates across the, the various policy areas. You say uh, China's a competitor, but we're going to cooperate on some things like climate change in North Korea. You sort of want the Quad to do more on the military side. Uh, you had AUKUS, which maybe was one kind of substantive thing in, in this part of the world. You're, you, you haven't decided what you want to do about China tariffs. And you have this uh, Indo-Pacific economic framework, which I think most people realize by now is has a lot of aspirational aspects. You know, we'll work together on things like data security with uh, partners that we're comfortable doing that with. But, but it's far from a, a, a trade agreement. Right? It's not mm -hmm. going to really facilitate trade. It's more like putting a stamp of approval on certain uh, economic partners. So uh, that's a long way of saying that uh, uh, you know it's it's good uh, you know for, from a U.S. foreign policy perspective for the president to be traveling and to be coming to this part of the world. Finally, uh, it would have been better if he had made this trip earlier. We know that the other high-level visitors kind of came and went. Nobody really cared. You know, Vice President Harris was in the region. Defense Secretary Austin. Secretary of State, look, it's nice when they're here, and I'm sure the host countries are happy, but none of those visits really changed much as far as the U.S. position in the region. So they're struggling, really. And I think host countries or other countries in this part of the world, pun intended, they're diplomatic about these things, but I think they'd like to see more from the Biden administration. The things they're focusing on, like trade, supply chains, the digital economy, they could have had all of that by, by joining in uh, the, the free trade agreement, couldn't they? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point because uh, it, it's something that comes up a lot. Uh, I'll give you an example. There, there was uh, a war game on NBC uh, last weekend involving the U.S. and China where they brought in a bunch of experts in Washington, D.C., and at the end, where the, they debated who might win a war, if there is a war between the U.S. and China. The host said, well, it would have been great if uh, the U.S. had, had joined the, the TPP and could have had a, a stronger presence in the region. Well, unfortunately, that was six years ago, so uh, that, you know, it's just not happening. Uh, and the, the other other options for the for what the U.S. could do, you know, this proposed economic framework is one of them. But again, it's slow in coming. There's no details. And ultimately, it's going to be more about, uh, well, we like hanging out with certain uh, partners, but uh, it's not really going to grow the economic ties between the U.S. and, and the region. And, and the countries in this part of the world, they've moved on, right? They've moved on with RCEP, uh, some of the countries that are in the CPTPP, they've moved on as well, and they're talking to other potential entrants into mm -hmm. the CPTPP, whether that's the UK, and obviously China, as well as Taiwan, have also applied to join. Isn't the Biden administration's strategy towards China really an old-fashioned one? It's almost like a Cold War strategy. You've got this bill going through Congress, which is really quite a blatant sort of anti-China bill, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be any effort to think about, rather than confronting China or trying to contain China, ways in which uh, the US could find common ground to work with China. Is there any sense of that happening? 
Well, they've tried again. I mean, they, when they came into office, they said, we're going to work with China on climate change. We're going to work with China on North Korea and uh, Iran, nuclear weapons programs. When you sort of run out of things that you're, you're going to work with, with China on. Uh, but they, they, they definitely seem to have a challenge in, in the Biden administration uh, doing a, a whole of government approach. And that was the terminology the Trump administration liked to use with regard to which China policy, uh, whether that was at the State Department, the Defense Department, the Justice Department or other government agencies. Uh, so they're clearly struggling because they want to do something different, right? They want to say we're not the Trump administration, we're going to do something different. But again, uh, they're, they're really struggling to come up with something. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't make them look so good. Uh, probably they're hiding behind, uh, for lack of a better description, uh, what well, we've been busy with, with uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, it's not really a justification, though, because uh, they're supposed to be good at these things. Okay, Ross, thank you very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Safepro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look around Asia-Pacific markets where things really are not looking very good at the moment. Down in Australia, uh, the ASX 200 has plummeted 1.8%. Things even worse in Japan. The Nikkei 225 now is down 2.3%. The Cosby in South Korea has tumbled 1.9%. I'm afraid it's going to be a similar story for the Hang Seng here in Hong Kong at uh, the open. Uh, futures markets pointing to the index declining around 550 points or so at the open later on this morning. We'll bring you all the latest updates on what's happening in the markets and the business around the region tomorrow morning on Money Talk at 8 o'clock. Please join me for that. Stay tuned for COVID updates with Jim Gould and James Ockenden coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, one or two showers at first, sunny periods during the day and the maximum temperatures are going to be around 28 degrees. The outlook is for sunny intervals in the next couple of days, a few showers early next week. The temperature right now is 24 degrees and it's 63% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. With social distancing rules further relaxed today, Civil Service Chief Patrick Nip warned that the number of COVID infections may rise. Restaurants are now allowed to operate until midnight while bars, karaoke clubs and mahjong parlors can reopen. Here's Mr. Nip. As social distancing measures are relaxed further, it's expected COVID outbreaks will emerge at places such as restaurants. The reproduction number of the virus has exceeded one, meaning coronavirus cases might increase. As infection risks rise, it's important for people to receive three vaccine doses to prevent serious complications and deaths. Meanwhile, Hong Kong reported 329 new COVID infections yesterday, virtually the same as the day before. The chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says today is a happy day for Hong Kong, with the SAR's bars allowed to reopen as social distancing measures are eased further. He said restaurants had reported a spike in reservations, with dine-in hours also extended until midnight. But he told RTHK that the biggest challenge facing the sector was a manpower shortage brought about by extended closures. Bars have been closed since January. It's a long time. And so obviously people could not wait for their jobs to come back. They didn't know when it would open again. And so they've left the industry. And it's not easy to attract new people, new staff. And so I think it'll, it'll just take a few months at least to work through the system. Share prices in the United States have seen their biggest one-day drop since 2020. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell more than 3.5% to 31,490. The BBC's Samira Hussein explains. 
recently released consumer spending numbers showed Americans were still buying things in the month of April. But two major retailers, Walmart and Target, reported a significant drop in profits last quarter because of higher fuel and labor costs. Both companies have seen their shares drop by more than 25% on that news. With rising inflation hurting corporate profits and household budgets, investors are now concerned that as the central bank raises interest rates, economic growth will be hurt. Some economists are warning that a recession may follow. The S&P 500 slumped 4% to end the session at 3,924, while the Nasdaq tumbled 4.7% to 11,418. The U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the world urgently needs to switch from fossil fuels to renewable energy after climate experts warned that last year set a series of alarming new records. He described the report as a dismal litany of humanity's failure to tackle climate disruption. It's time for leaders, public and private alike, to stop talking about renewables as a distant project of the future. Because without renewables, there can be no future. As today's report makes clear, it's time to jumpstart the renewable energy transition before it is too late. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is James Ockenden. Good